Well, hey, what's going on, Will family? Uh, how are we? Good. Yeah, yeah good. Yeah. Advent week one. All right. right so, look, some of y'all have been waiting for the season for 10 months now. Okay. Like, my wife is one of those ones who loves Christmas. Like, a true would be up November 2nd if I didn't rebuke actions like that. Okay. Uh, like, I like Christmas, but compared to some of y'all, I'm like the Grinch in this mug. All right. And so, I am excited about Christmas this year, though, because uh, honestly, it's been a tough 2020. Uh, and it's been difficult for a lot of us. And my big prayer is actually that this would be one of your favorite Christmases ever, that this would actually be one that you remember. And after really a hard year for many of us, I'm actually praying that these words that we're studying during Advent would actually be real for you in a way that maybe they haven't been in times past, that they would actually be fully yours in Christ. So we ready? All right, dive in. Cool. We're going to be continuing in Luke today, really uh, journeying through this book still as we begin Advent. But we're going to be uh, focusing a little bit more on the beginning of Jesus's life here, his descension down to earth. And so over the prior three weeks, we were looking at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. But now I want to backtrack a little bit and actually look at the beginning of his human life here amongst us. So if you have your Bibles, grab them. Luke chapter one is where we are going to start. And as you are turning there, uh, Luke is really committed to helping us see the humanity of Jesus. That is what he longs for us to recognize here, that though Jesus being God, he actually put on flesh. And he really wants us to be amazed at this, to marvel at this wonder, at this mystery of the Messiah becoming a man. So, with pumpkin spice lattes in your hands, all right? Uh, I want us to look at the hope that we have in Christ. Jesus is our true hope. Even as we sang about in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, he is the hope of the world. He was then and he still is now today amongst us. And so I think all of us need a little bit of a hope injection in this season, right? And so let's look to he who is hope together. Luke chapter one, beginning in uh, verse 26. I'm gonna have my brother Ryan read that for us. Hey everyone, my name is Ryan Yep. I am a covenant member here at The Well and also help lead the Southeast Community Group. Today I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Whew, thanks be to God. Uh, a ton of goodness here as we start to focus on Christ being our hope and Christ bringing our hope. He's not just our hope. He literally brings hope to us. And so a couple of things that try to set up the power of this actual story. Firstly, this is actually coming off of the heels of another miraculous birth story. Gabriel, the same angel that we see here, actually just went to Mary's cousin six months prior. And Elizabeth was her cousin's name. And he announced to her that she too will be having a son, that she would actually conceive in her old age. And so Elizabeth was barren her whole life. And yet here comes Gabriel saying, hey, this child that you longed for, that you hoped for, that you desired, man, God's going to give this to you. And eventually that child, Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, would be born to Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, Elizabeth's husband, uh, they were beasts in the faith. In fact, if you look at verse six there in your Bible, you actually see kind of this, uh, these, these uh, monstrous people in the faith in a way. They were faithful to God. They were serving God their whole lives. They were killing it. In fact, Zechariah was actually a priest of the Lord, and this is one of the most sacred duties that you could have. He is the one that offered sacrifices to God and went in the presence of God often, and God promised them that the child they had been hoping for, probably the child they had been praying for their whole lives, would actually be delivered to them. And so I don't want to actually miss the power of what's going on then in this birth story because there's an important point here for a lot of us that I think we would blaze through too fast if we're not careful. We might be tempted to think that Zachariah and Elizabeth were chosen because he was a holy man of God. He was the one that was directly doing the Lord's work. He was the priest of God in that way. In fact, we see Gabriel go to Jerusalem, the center of all religious activity, where people literally went to meet with God, the most important city for the Jews. There's prominence here. But then Mary is actually from Nazareth. And if you look at in verse 26, you see it was a town that was so obscure that Luke actually had to tell his readers what region it was in, right? It was a town that actually had a proverb about it that said, can anything good come from Nazareth, okay? Like, I'm from Detroit, which I and y'all make jokes about often, okay? And Detroit isn't as bad as Cleveland, the mistake by the lake, right? Uh, Nazareth was even worse than that, okay? That's what's happening here. And so this is a nowhere city with actually a bad rep, and Mary is actually an unknown person. She just burst onto the scene with no background at all. And so God chose a no-name girl from a no-name location to bring about the Savior of the world. Like, don't miss this, okay? God is about to work the redemption of humanity to bring hope into the world through a 15-year-old woman, not a man, a woman, which in that context shouldn't have been happening, right? And not from Jerusalem, from Nazareth, not from riches or high prominence, but through obscurity, really. God is bringing redemption and God is using the unlikely to do it. And then we think that God doesn't want to use us often, right? And we think that we have to be something or do something for God to use. Listen, be encouraged, friends. God uses the seemingly insignificant to do the most for his name always. 
Like, in other words, there's hope even here, even as we look at the person of Mary who's going to bring forth the person of the Messiah, we see all of this hope start to be wrapped up that, hey, do you have a broken past? Look, God wants to use it because he will get glory from that. Are you a nobody from a no-name place with a no-name background? You're the very person that God wants to use to display his glory, to showcase his power. God delights in using the seemingly insignificant to make much of his name. God wants to use you, family. And so here's Mary, the favored one of God, it says, and yet not favored because of her work or because of her position, which is what we would expect the person to bring the Messiah to be somebody with position or that does all of this laboring and then they bring the Messiah. She's just favored because God is good. God is just good to her. And if you're a Christian, it's because God has had favor over you, family, and he's just good to you. There was nothing that you did to earn it. It wasn't because of your position or even what you would be in Christ. It's just that he favors us at times. And so here is God favoring Mary. And if you are a believer, man, I want you to rejoice at the favor of the Lord in your life. It is his favor that is looked upon you. You didn't deserve it, but it was his good pleasure to bring it to you. And so here comes Mary, the favored one of the Lord. And she's like, Hold up, me, <laughs> right? She was troubled at the saying, it says there. Translation, this angel just rolls up into my crib, <laughs> right? Calls me blessed and highly favored. I'm from the middle of nowhere. Like, what is going on here? I would have been confused too, okay? Uh, and the angel, once again, he says, hey, you are favored, sister. He actually repeats himself. He re-emphasizes her favor that is on her, okay? So quick side point for us, but I want you to get this too, when, keep, when people keep speaking biblical truth over your life, maybe you should just believe it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you should just receive it, right? Like sometimes people see identity in you that's actually hard for you to see, but they see it very clearly. And so they say it twice, three times. They reemphasize themselves, this identity that God has given you. I'm speaking to some of y'all in this room, so I better get some amens in here, okay? Like, Mary is favored, and she's having trouble understanding how. So Gabriel emphatically says it again, and some of us, we have all of these giftings that God has given us, and maybe even angels have come to you, messengers of God, his church, his people that act as messengers on his behalf have told you that you have gifts that God wants to use. When people speak life over you, family of God, receive it. I know it might be hard to believe because you might feel like you're nobody or don't have prominence or don't have what it takes, but maybe you're the very person that God wants to use, family. You may be walking in favor without even realizing it. In fact, if you are a Christian, you do have gifting and identity that God wants to use to make much of his glory. And if people speak that frequently over you, I would encourage you to humbly walk in it and actually live that out as Mary did here in this passage. She believed and she walked forth in what God was calling her to. Now, Gabriel, he begins to go into this idea of hope here. And Luke actually begins to cue us in on this as well. In fact, uh, the first cue that Christ is our hope is actually found both in verse 27 and in verse 34. You see it there on the screen. It's the repetition of that word virgin. You see it there. 
Now, this wasn't just a word that was thrown around randomly, right? Like, this wasn't like a name that you used for someone. Like, they weren't middle schoolers, okay? Uh, it didn't work like that any more then than it would now, okay? The word is actually only used nine times in the entire New Testament. Talking about the birth of Mary is where it is used most frequently. Jesus gives one parable where he uses this idea of virgins. And then the only other two references of our, is of us when we are before Christ, our true king, representing our purity when we stand before him one day. So the word is a very, very rare word. And the reason that Luke is actually using this word is he's trying to draw us back to the prophecies of old. Because in Isaiah chapter 7, there was actually a promise that was given through the prophet Isaiah that one day a Savior would come, a Messiah would come, and he would make all things right. And he would deliver us from this world around us. And he would connect us to God. And he would miraculously be born of a virgin, is what it says. It would be a miracle. It would be the evidence that God was about to do something big in our life, that a virgin would bear a child, that this person would begin to restore creation. And from that very important moment, family, all the way up to here in Luke 1, there had to have been all of this anticipation building, this hope that was beginning to swell, that Luke is wanting us to feel, like, do you see it? It is coming to its culmination, and it is coming to its culmination in the person of Jesus. Jesus is coming to fulfill hope. And hope is a powerful, powerful, powerful thing, is it not? Like, think about it. If I said right now, right, like coronavirus is going to disappear, okay? And if I begin to give off this hope, and if I said the evidence of it is that the Detroit Lions will win the Super Bowl, okay? As soon as the Detroit Lions win the Super Bowl, then coronavirus would be clear. Yo, we'd be diehard fans of them, would we not? (laughs) Right? Now listen, they've actually only won one playoff game in their whole 50-year history in the NFL. So it would almost be as miraculous as a virgin birth, okay? Like, It would almost be the same thing. It would feel as impossible, okay? But we'd be hoping in this mug, would we not? We'd be watching, waiting. We'd be checking scores. Those of you who are like, what are Detroit Lions? It's a football team. You would know about it if I talked about the coronavirus being clear, right? And imagine if they made the playoffs. Yo, all of a sudden, this anticipation would be building. It'd be swelling, right? This is a miserable analogy. This is an awful analogy, but I hope you're tracking with me. Are you tracking with me? Yes, makes sense? Okay. What I'm saying is, is that there would have been a promise of all of this buildup of hope. And that's what happened from Isaiah 7 till today, where Jesus is being promised that he would come to deliver people from their sin, that something bigger than the coronavirus was amongst them and they felt it and they knew it and they knew there was separation between them and God. They felt the brokenness of their soul. And Isaiah said, listen, there will be somebody that will bear forth a Messiah. And here comes Gabriel saying, it's gonna happen now through you, Mary. All of a sudden, all of this hope would be fulfilled. His name is Jesus. Jesus comes to fulfill hope, family. Listen, write that, circle that, star that. Jesus comes to fulfill 
hope. He comes to fulfill hope. In fact, the hope of Christ, of fulfillment, would have actually traveled back further than even a few hundred years ago with Isaiah. It actually would have traveled back a few thousand years ago with Eve, where Eve was told that a child would come that would reconnect them with God. And this hope would have started swelling for the Jews as Abraham was also given a promise that their descendants would be like the stars of the sky, like the sand of the seashore, and that Moses would come and he would bring an even greater hope that a greater prophet would come from him and that there would be one that would deliver the very words of God to us and one that is greater than Moses. And there's a greater King David. Yes, he delivered us from our enemies, but there would be a king that would fight on our behalf and deliver us from an even greater enemy of sin and death, that he would fight our battles, that he would defeat our enemies, that all of a sudden there's this greater prophet, this greater priest, this greater king, and it would have been building and building and building all throughout the New or Old Testament, all of this hope. Do you see what Luke is doing here? He is trying to draw us back to all of this hope, and Luke is saying, God is coming through. God is coming through. Every single promise that you were looking for, it is coming to its culmination, and here it is. His name is Jesus. Do you feel it? It is astounding is what Luke is trying to help us see here, that hope came through in this unlikely place. In Nazareth is where God is deciding to fulfill his promise. Jesus is the fulfillment of every historical promise of God. Every single prophecy, Jesus came and he fulfilled. If you hope in Jesus, your hope will be fulfilled too, family. Your hope will be fulfilled fully. So Jesus is the fulfillment of all historical hope. However, the hope man, Jesus, is not just a historical hope feeler, right? You like that? That was a good one, okay? (laughs) He's not just a historical hope feeler, right? He actually brings an even greater hope. In Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, okay? In other words, you shouldn't hope too much because if you do, you'll actually just end up depressed. That's actually what that proverb says. And in all of this hope that Jesus actually came to add, there's actually a ton of pressure here. Like literally, Jesus is saying, okay, Old Testament, I see your hope and I raise it. Hope squared, right? <laughs> and so Jesus just doesn't fulfill hope. He actually ratchets it up to a whole new level. He says, look, man, I'm not going to defer your hope. I'm actually going to build it and then fulfill it that much more. In fact, look at verse 31 through 33 and verse 35 once again. Look at all of what the arrival of Christ will bring. Look at all of this hope that's here. It says that he will bring salvation. Jesus's name literally means God saves. God is salvation. He will be great, it says, the son of the most high. He will be on the throne of David to rule over Israel forever, like like never ending, like have not a temporal reign, nor will he have a really long kingdom, nor will it be that sons end up taking his throne one day. No, he will reign forever, it says, an eternal kingdom. And he will be holy, it says there in verse 35, and he will be the son of God himself. 
That's a lot of expectation, y'all, right? Like marriages, they often go through struggles, particularly early on because of unhealthy expectations, right? Like you think your wife is going to cook every meal. You think that your husband is going to clean all the dishes. You think you're going to take vacations once a year, right? You think that they're going to squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom because no sane human squeezes it from the middle, right? Amen. Nobody in the room, okay? That's all right. You think that they're going to shower every day, all right? Like, Am I seeking facts or what? Like, come on now, okay? And so then you fight because your expectations are too high. Like, look, work is busy. It's hard to take showers every day, all right? Like, come on now, all right? I'm giving you. Look, this is free marriage advice for y'all, okay? I'm just dropping nuggets, free 99 in here, all right? Look, don't set too lofty of expectations, okay? And Gabriel's like, yeah, I'm gonna set a really high standard for you. Like, have really high expectations for this child. Whatever you think, think higher actually of him. Jesus doesn't just fulfill all historical hope. He brings a whole new hope, and Jesus also fulfills everything that Gabriel promised Jesus would bring. Gabriel is saying, you can place your hope in Jesus because he is the fulfillment of hope. God is fulfilling every single promise of Christ, but not only is he the Old Testament fulfillment of the hope, he brings a whole new hope, and he fulfills this as well. He is past hope and he's present hope, family. Jesus fulfills everything historically and right now he brings hope into this world. God is trying to build hope in us. And here's why I believe. It's because hope actually makes us long for the future. It makes us long for redemption. It makes us long for something that is better. In fact, I think one of the tactics of Satan is actually to rob us of our hope that God won't come through on his promises, that this earth is broken beyond repair, that your sin is too heavy, and there is not an ability to overcome that in your life, that you are a nobody, and so God isn't able to use you, that God isn't able, and that heaven isn't real, and he knows that if he can steal hope from you, then he can steal life from you, because hope actually gives us life. And so Satan tries to rob that of us, and yes, look, this earth may be broken, but Christ became broken that this earth may be restored. You can hope in Jesus, family. You can hope in King Jesus. In fact, Gabriel knows that offering this much hope is actually going to be hard to believe. So he actually gives another evidence to Mary to help her believe all of this hope that he's saying. In verse 36, he says, hey, look, God is doing miracles in other areas too. He's like, hey, yo, go look at Elizabeth. Go look at your girl Lizzie, your cousin, she pregnant, pregnant, right? Like she real pregnant in this mug, okay? And so sometimes I think we lose hope because we're actually looking at the impossibleness of our own life or the hard situations in our life, and we're missing what God is doing in other areas, so we forget that God can and does move because we don't look at other places where he's already shown his faithfulness. And so Gabriel points Mary's eyes to something else that she might believe and the hope that is being offered to her through the coming of the Savior. And so, in other words, God can do it, y'all. Like, look at the world around us. Whatever you think God is not able to do, I guarantee you that he's already doing in the world right now today. Like, we think that God can't bring this family member of ours to Christ. Yo, look over there. He's already done that, right? Or we think that God can't restore our marriages. Look over there. He's already done that. Or we think that God can't help us overcome this sin area. Man, look over here. He's already done it, family. In order for you to believe 
believe and to walk out in faith, at times you have to look at what God is doing in others. And so Gabriel encourages Mary in this. He says, man, look to your uh, cousin, Elizabeth. Look how God's delivering here and then believe in this hope and look to Jesus, the hope man. Jesus brings hope, 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 hope. Ho, ho, ho. Do you get that? A little Christmas reference? All right. That was cheesy. I'm, I'm being cheesy today. Wah, wah. Okay, look. There's all this hope that's here, right? And so Jesus fulfills all historical hope, and he also brings a new hope, an even greater hope in this sense. But I want to finish off this section with one additional thing that the Savior brings. He fulfills everything in the past. He brings new things into the present. So you can guess where we're going with this, okay? Uh, Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 39. I'm gonna have my friend Melissa read that for us. Hi, Well family. My name is Melissa Tapperson, and my husband and I, Brian, have been coming to the Well for over a year. We've been married over 20 years, and we help out with marriage ministry and premarital ministry. We also um, are part of the Far West CG. And I'm really longing to meet with you guys um, again in person. Um, I'm going to be reading to you from Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45 in the ESV. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Now, the hope of Israel can actually be lost on us from this story today. Israel, at the time of writing, was actually in captivity to Rome, another nation whose leaders were apathetic at best, tyrants at worst. And we think that our current climate is hostile. I mean, put yourself in the place of the Jews here, right? They were literally enslaved to another country that would use them for their own benefit. They were not a well-off nation in the midst of the coming of the Messiah here. Additionally, the word of the Lord had not been directed heard for over 400 years at this point. And so they were physically suffering, but they were also in a spiritual desert in this sense. And so at times, friends, just like even I would guess the last year for a lot of us, we can lack hope because things feel dark and they begin to feel bleak around us. And we begin to think that maybe God won't come through on his promises. Maybe he won't actually deliver. Maybe this isn't all worth it. Maybe it will stay dark in this sense. But just as God had not forgotten his promises then. He does not forget his promises now. Jesus delivered then, and Jesus is delivering now too, family of God. Just as they found hope in the most unlikely of places in Nazareth, maybe God is actually telling you in this season of suffering to look in the unlikely places for hope as well. Like maybe God's doing something, preparing the way for salvation in the midst of all of this darkness, just as he would here. Maybe he's telling you to look for hope in 
the church where maybe you have lost hope or been hurt by the church before. And he's saying, no, 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 look for it there again. Or maybe he's telling you to find hope through your suffering. And maybe that through that suffering, it would reveal something beautiful about what God is wanting to do in your life. There is hope. His name is Jesus, family of God. Now notice a few things about this text, right? First of all, Elizabeth is actually the first person to acknowledge Christ as Lord. This godly woman who had been suffering throughout her whole life, probably often losing hope, is the first one that gets it and that gets to realize who this baby actually is. And so your suffering right now, Christian, it may actually lead to a sweeter hope later in life. You know, maybe Elizabeth's suffering led it to where she can actually recognize the Messiah when he came. And maybe your suffering right now may lead you to be able to recognize the Messiah when he comes in your life, when he's trying to use you in a certain way. There is nothing purposeless anymore for those of us who are in Christ. Man, don't miss that, y'all. There is nothing that is purposeless anymore. Every single thing has purpose. God will use everything and bring everything to redemption, not just in the world around us, everything, y'all. Everything means everything. There is nothing purposeless anymore. And so even our suffering can be the manure that actually blossoms up the flowers of salvation or sanctification in our life. Maybe God is doing something through this trial. There is hope for us if we are in Christ. And this is what happens here for Elizabeth. Just as Elizabeth was waiting for God to come through and he came through not just with the child, but with the savior of the world. So we actually live in waiting as well. We live in hope part two, right? As Stephanie mentioned in hosting, we already saw hope fulfilled in Christ. We already realized that he came and he lived and he died and But there's still all these promises to be had as well. There's still all of this future prophecy that is still to be fulfilled, that will be fulfilled when Christ returns one day and establishes his kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. Jesus is coming back and the hundreds of promises of God are coming back with him and he will establish the earth and he will make all things right. You can let your heart hope because things will get better if you believe in Jesus. There will will be new life that springs out. He will bring beauty into all things. If not today, eternally your soul will be satisfied and this little blip on the radar of 80 years will look nothing like the eternity that you will be living if you believe in Jesus. In fact, maybe this whole life will be suffering, but that suffering was meant to prepare you for eternity that you may worship the King forever. There is nothing purposeless for those of us who are in Christ and Christ will fulfill all future hope family of God. He will come and deliver everything over to us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? We said that earlier. In other words, you should not be hoping too much because it might depress you, but you can hope in Jesus, family, because he will fulfill every promise. He will not let anything fall death or dead because God will resurrect all things just like he did to his son. Jesus will come and bring all hope. He will never fail. God always wins, always has, always will, family of God. 
There is hope in Jesus. And we can actually believe this most fully when we look not just to the birth of Christ like we have here in this story, but actually to a few decades later at the death of Christ where we actually see hope being fulfilled for us, his death, the very reason why he came. You see, think about all that was said of Jesus. He would be great, the son of God, have the throne of David, like we said in verses 32 through 35, right? Jesus would be great, and yet at his life, it would actually end, and he would not be treated as the greater, but he would be treated as the greatly despised one. The son of the most high would be treated like the father knew him not, family of God. The throne king would be wearing the crown of thorns and be treated like a criminal, not like a king, but like a slave that had done wrong. The one who would reign forever, whose reign would have no end, he would die. Like hope died, y'all. Hope was dead is what we see there. The Holy One became sin. The Son of God was treated like a sinner, not like a son. In fact, at Jesus's trial, there was Barabbas and Jesus that was up to be released in, uh, in the place there. And Barabbas, his name, Bar-Abbas, Bar-Abba, his name literally means son of the father. So what's happening there? Well, the false son of the father was released while the real son of the father, Jesus, was crucified. Why? Because we are Barabbas family. Though we are not sons of God, if we place our trust, our faith, our hope in Jesus, then we become sons of the father. The father forsook the son that you might never be forsaken, family of God. Jesus' life came to an end so that your life would live forever if you believe in him. Hope died that hope might now be fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The past hope, the present hope, and the future hope, if you are saved and if he has already brought you to his son, won't he also give you all things the scripture says? Jesus fulfilled all historical promise that showed us that we can have salvation if we believe. He fulfilled all present promise that if we believe in him, we receive this hope and become sons and daughters of the most high God and he will fulfill all future promises as well that says we will reign with him forever. Jesus is hope y'all. He is hope and your hope will not be deferred if you put your hope in Jesus. It will come fulfilled in Christ. You can hope in this. I love in this story here at the end that John the Baptist leapt when Jesus came into the room, right? Like, I love that analogy here. Has your heart leapt for Christ's family? Have you felt him enter into your soul? Have you come alive at the person of Jesus, at the name of Jesus? Has your heart experienced that sort of resurrection that we see even in Elizabeth's womb here? Has your soul jumped at the entrance of Christ? Because if it has, then you can have hope, y'all. If you have believed in Jesus and received him, then you will be filled with the spirit just like John the Baptist was. And that spirit will seal you until that great day when we stand before him and all hope is found and realized fully. We can believe in this. 
He was broken that one day all things will be made right. And I pray that they would be begin to be made right for us even here on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. But even if not, y'all, hope will come through. And we have to believe this. We are not a people without hope, the scripture says. It's because we're not a people without Jesus. We have Jesus who is literally hope. He doesn't just bring hope. He is hope, y'all. And he brings it fully to us. Every one of the promises. He came down and put on human flesh himself, y'all. And so this Christmas, will we remember that? Like, will we fight to begin to remember the hope that is actually ours in Christ Jesus, our King? Maybe that he would even give us new hope again. Maybe that he would resurrect hope again in us. That as the political season, as the social season, as the world around us has tried to rob hope, I promise you that all things will be made right. And I can stand on that promise because it ain't my promise. It's from the word of God itself. Christ will deliver us, family. Jesus is hope. He is hope. He is hope. Believe that in your heart. And even this Christmas season, would you allow your thrill of your heart to begin to come alive as you look to Christ, our hope. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's pray. Um, Yeah, Jesus, thank you for being our hope. Gosh, Uh, that you are hope fulfilled. You are hope restored. You are hope renewed. You are hope that has come and made all things right. You give us a new hope. You will fulfill all future hope. God, there are probably promises that are laid out for us that we don't even see in scripture that we will get one day when we stand before you forever. There's future hope awaiting for us that we don't even know about yet. You bring hope. And so God, I pray that we would receive that. Jesus, that for those of us who have been wrestling even this year, losing hope, I pray that it would be resurrected, not because we're looking to the hope of a situation, but because we're looking to you, Christ, you who are hope. I pray that we would believe in you, receive you, trust you, Jesus. God, thank you for being my hope. When I was just living this world, this life around me, and really was without hope in a lot of ways, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of purpose in life and like I'd just make some money and die. <laughs> and then you came and gave hope. And uh, man, I believe that I will see the goodness of our God. That I will be in the land of the living. That we will be with you forever one day. God, I pray that we would believe that. Please, Jesus, even right now as we are watching this, Would you just fill us with hope, Christ? I do not want to be a people without hope. I want to be hopeful. God, for those who do not know you, that do not have hope eternal, I pray they would receive you today. They would see that hope is theirs, that they but believe in you, Jesus, that you promised if we place our faith in you, you will resurrect us one day. You will make all things right. And for those of us who have placed our faith in you, Jesus, gosh, I pray that we would just believe in this, that we would not lose hope, that we would be eternally focused, looking to that day when you will make all things right. I thank you that all promises find their yes and amen in you, Christ. Gosh, help us believe that. Let us even sing out to you now our living hope, 
that we would remind our hearts of the truth of the gospel. You are hope fulfilled, Jesus. We love you, Christ. Praise things in your very, very beautiful name. Amen.